Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Hello and welcome to the final episode of this series of We Made a Beer, the podcast in which we, two beer novices, learn about beer by brewing it, drinking it and chatting to some folks who really know their stuff. Coming up in our final episode, we chat to food and beer guru Lawrence Creamer. I don't know if I could have a dream menu because my tastes would change all the time. But for some reason, you asked me that question and the curious brew and fish finger sandwich leapt out at me. We talked to Toast Ale about using up food waste to make great beer. He ultimately wants feedback to do such a good job on food waste that we'll eliminate bread waste, which means we can't brew any more Toast Ale. Uh, And then I'll look for another job. (laughs) And we finally drop the C word. Craft beer culture, we'll call it. Craft beer, whatever that word is. The craft revolution, in inverted commas. Craft is a word I don't want to use, but craft beer for a lack of a better term. If you're listening to We Made a Beer for the first time here, hello and welcome. If you'd like to hear more about the process of brewing, head over to episode one, when we made our very first beer, a drinkable IPA. Since then, with the help of our friends at Brew, we've brewed a pretty piss-poor lager, a passable porter, a half-decent wheat beer, and an almost fully-decent gooseberry saison. In our final episode, we're hoping to continue our upwards trajectory by tackling the milk stout. We'll also be finding out a little more about how to bring out the best in the beers we've made by pairing them with food. And we'll also be talking to some folks who are not only making lovely beer... They're also taking a step towards solving the UK's food waste problem every time they sell a bottle. Last week, we brewed up a pretty unique beer, a gooseberry saison. It's our best beer to date, and at over 8%, also our strongest. Here's how it went down with the folks at Ubrew. So after five brews, we can say you can make a brew that's actually like an exceptional brew. This is a great beer, I like it a lot. Wilf is getting slowly more positive about this beer. Because I'm getting drunk. Eight percenter, eight percenter. You'll also notice I start breathing more deeply into the microphone. (laughs) So, five beers in and we finally produced a beer that Wilf was kind of creepily happy with. Hmm. He's a hard man to please, so we're really chuffed with that result. Infused beers can be really hit and miss as well. They're most likely to need tasting, tweaking and rebrewing until you nail the flavour profile. So it's a stroke of luck that our initial brew resulted in the beer it did. We've been developing our beer recipes using an online platform called Brewer's Friend, and there's loads of similar ones out there too. If you're doing any sort of brewing, these websites are great. You input your recipe and hopping schedule, and it does the math for you. It tells you what alcohol percentage you can expect from your beer, the colour, the bitterness. It works all that out for you. You've still got to nail the brewing techniques and work cleanly to avoid spoiling the beer, but essentially you can get a good idea of what to expect from your brew. Now, when you go adding in random ingredients, that's when things enter unknown territory. However, whether by fluke or pure skill, it was fluke, our gooseberry saison became a top success. Fresh from that success, we decided to play around a little more with infusions in our beer this week too. 
This week's beer is a weird one, the Milk Stout. A milk stout is quite unique in its flavour. It's a sweet stout made by adding lactose sugar into the wort before the end of the boil. We added ours in for the final 10 minutes. This lactose can't be fermented by the yeast, so it retains its sweetness in the final beer. Not content with making a standard milk stout, we decided to then infuse our beer with cacao nibs and vanilla pods. We hoped that the cacao nibs would add some bitterness to balance the sweetness, and the vanilla would give that lovely aroma, and hopefully, if we get our quantities right, a moorish, puddingy flavour. We soaked all of our infusion ingredients in vodka before we added them to our beer, to make sure they were clean and to avoid contaminating the beer, which means we've also inadvertently created a really tasty chocolate-infused vodka. Mm. Keep listening to hear if our milk stout lived up to the big dreams we had for it. We'll be getting our final bout of brutally honest feedback from the guys at Ubrew later in the episode. This Milk Stout is the sixth beer style we've taken on in this series, and as each batch was around 25 litres, well, we've got a lot of the stuff. This means we have a few options. Option one, we slowly plough through around 200 bottles of distinctly average beer, all on our lonesome. Or option two, we try and palm it off on our friends and family under the guise of a well-thought-out dinner party. We're going to go for option two on this one, but we fancy doing something a little bit special for our guests. Following on from our chat last week with Neil from There's a Beer for That, we asked him if he knew anyone who could give us some tips for pairing our beers with food. He recommended this lovely gentleman. My name is Lawrence Creamer, which is my real surname. I have to admit, we have laughed about that. <laughs> your brilliant. surname is Creamer. <laughs> you're not. You're not alone. It's, it's a very unfortunate surname, but but there we are. Um, so I'm Lawrence Creamer. I'm the in-house beer writer for the There's a Beer for That campaign, and I worked before the There's a Beer for That campaign. I worked for the British Beer and Pub Association on their consumer beer campaign called Beer Genie. So I've been writing about beer and beer and food and and making it consumer friendly for a, a, a few years. Awesome. So could you talk us through? the approach that you have at There's a Beer for That for food and beer matching? I could. I mean, I suppose it's important to say, first of all, that there are really no rules. Everyone's palate is different, so what one pairing that might work for somebody won't work for somebody else. So it's really whatever you want. If you like a beer and you like a food and you have them together and it works for you, then that's a good pairing. So I think that's the first thing to understand uh, is there's no right or wrong. But we have the three C's principle, which is cut, complement and contrast, and they're very straightforward. The cutting side of things, so the cutting C is when a beer cuts through the flavour or body of um, a food using its carbonation or bitterness, so carbonation bubbles, bitterness from the hops. Mm-hmm. A good example there, American style, you know, hop-forward IPAs will use their uh, their hops and bitterness to cut through the heat of chilies. Carbonated beers like lagers will cut through fatty foods like fish and chips. That's cutting in a nutshell. Mm-hmm. A best bitter that's quite malt-forward and has quite caramelly notes to it um, will complement roast meats, sausages, steaks really well. Uh, the reason for that is when you roast a meat, it goes through something called the Maillard reaction, which is when it's it's when you roast it, the sugar in the meat starts caramelising. And a pretty similar thing happens when barley undergoes, um, when it's malted, the starch turns to sugar. And so that's why when you have those caramel notes in beer and you put them with roasted meats, that's a fantastic combination. So you could go with something like London Pride or if you know Harvey's down in Sussex, where I live, um, their best bitter is fantastic with um, with roasted meats. 
So that's really compliment, very straightforward. So similar flavours in beers and uh, similar flavours in the beer and the food. Mm-hmm. And contrast is the very opposite to that. It's when the flavours in the beer uh, is the polar opposite to the flavour in the food. And you sort of, by doing that, you create a quite a unique combination. Um, so if you have a beer like a porter with um, coffee notes, it's going to contrast sweet notes. So bitter coffee will contrast the sweetness. So I don't know, you could have something like a porter that's got quite strong coffee notes with something like an apple pie. Um, you've got a lovely contrast of flavours there and a very unique um, flavour combo happens on the back of that. I suppose it's the dominant flavours in the beer. When you're contrasting, the dominant flavours in the beer tone down the sweetness of desserts and the sweetness of the desserts tone down the bitter or tart flavours in the beer. Does that make sense? Yeah. Sure. Um, so you mentioned that there was no rules, but is yes. is there literally no rules? Like, is there something that maybe should absolutely not go with certain dishes? Or... <laughs> I mean, if you were to pair an imperial stout that's 10% with a garden salad or something like that, <laughs> the, the, the beer is just going to dominate and you're not even going to taste your food. But if you want to do that, you can. It's not, it's not really going to work as a pairing. Um, so um, there are no rules, but there are probably some pairings that probably don't work. Why should people think about matching beer with their meals rather than the more traditional wine with food? I suppose that wine, I mean, wine is is great with food. Um, There are two principal things that give wine their flavour, which is grapes and yeast, but you've got four with beer, so there's a lot more going on. So you've got hops, malted barley or wheat, uh, yeast, and to a lesser degree, water that give flavour. So there is, it's got more dexterity, I suppose, um, and it's more forgiving than wine. Um, so it's, I think, an easier food to pair with and it's got a bit more depth to it. But also, and the, the clincher, is that you've got um, carbon, unless you're drinking champagne all the time, you've got carbonation that cleanses the palate so well with, mm. with beer. You just don't get that with wine. Cool. So do you think that beer and food matching is becoming more popular nowadays? I mean, we're certainly seeing a lot more of it in, in London, but do you think that's happening everywhere? Yeah, I think it certainly is. Uh, it's it's certainly down where I live in West Sussex. One or two pubs are putting beer suggestions on their menus. So it's definitely becoming more prevalent. You've got great restaurants in London. There's a restaurant in Fulham called Walia. They cook with their beer and they suggest which beers to have with each course. Uh, it's extremely beer focused and they have some amazing beers. It's an amazing experience. You should go there. You can have a sort of seven courses and it's just uh, revolves all around beer and, and all the recipes are driven by beer uh, and it's a, a revelation to, to have that. Super. What would be on your dream menu in a beer and food pairing evening? <laughs> it's, it, a lot of it depends on mood but when you have really really good pairings uh, a really good beer and food match it's not necessarily because it's such an amazing food but it's just the two things are so brilliant together and it's just like that sort of wow moment one of the very best pairings i had was a fish finger sandwich <laughs> with do you know the curious mm. boo lager yeah it's yeah. brewed with champagne yeast uh, and it's just sort of spritzy light citrusy elegant amazing with seafood and I just happened to have it with a fish finger sandwich and it was just one of those pairings I, but uh, yeah I mean so I, I don't know if I can have a dream menu because my tastes would change all the time but for some reason you asked me that question and the curious brew and fish finger sandwich leapt out at me so if we're going to host a beer event with all of yes. our beers yes. can I ask you what do you think would pair with our IPA you've got quite a lot of options I would put your IPA that 
sort of latter end of your dinner party. Nice. So first of all, let's yeah. establish what order should we serve our beers in in that case? <laughs> um, I would like to start, <laughs> if I was you guys, with um, your, your simple lager. Okay. Mm-hmm. And I would have that as like your welcoming drink. Okay. Serve it as an aperitif in a sort of champagne flute. Nice. Nice. I like the idea with your lager of um, a pea and pecorino on bruschetta. Oh, very nice. Mm-hmm. Um, and you've got this sort of herbal floral notes from the SARS hops there will complement the pea stuff. Um, and the slight, you've got, because you're using Pilsner malt, it's got a slightly honeyed character. Mm-hmm. Um, that's going to work quite well with the pecorino. And then you've got that carbonation again, cutting through it all and, and refreshing the mouth. Super. Nice. We did work out yesterday uh, yes. that we have actually now got carbonation in the beer, which is great. <laughs> which is great because well, at the beginning when we first opened it, it had uh, very little fizz. Um, <laughs> so yes, we've had our general chit chat. We've supped our lagers. We've had yes. our aperitifs. Where are yeah. we going now? So we're going to have a starter, aren't we? After this, I would now have a go with your traditional wheat beer. A winner with fish. It's great with salmon, not smoked salmon. Um, it's a bit too punchy flavour-wise. Mm-hmm. But I also like the idea of chilli prawns mm-hmm. with this one. You've got the sweetness that's going to complement the sweetness of those prawns, but also that sweetness will also temper the heat from the chilli. Mm-hmm. I feel like this nice. is a very good menu so far. Sounding well, great. <laughs> let's, let's, see, let's see how we go next. Uh, so we've done our lager, we've had our wheat beer. Where are we going now? We're going to do your porter. Okay. Mm-hmm. This is your main. This is a big... Main, by the way. So that's why we haven't overpowered the stomach with loads of stuff to start off with. So I think we've got a couple of options here. Beef or mushroom Wellington would be really nice. It will complement the meat and or mushroom. And because of the hops you use, the Bramling Cross, Mm -hmm. it's got a fruity, dark berries character. I'd be tempted to go for venison. Nice. Um, The beer there would complement the big flavour of the meat and it's often served with a berry sauce and the fruity berryness. Berryness is totally a word, by the way. (laughs) I Uh, love that word. (laughs) The fruity berryness would probably, from the hop, would work with that too. And it's it's a really big main, but it sounds like it's a big beer and I think those two would would work really beautifully together. Big main, big beer, big party. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Um, And then your gooseberry saison. I didn't know where to start with your your saison. It sounds amazing. They go superbly with turkey um, really good with charcuterie and smoked salmon but the gooseberry element of your saison sort of threw me a bit mm-hmm. um, and I'm not sure those would work well and I've got this really weird suggestion for your gooseberry saison and I don't even know if this would mm-hmm. work it's meringue swirls with a raspberry coulis with crushed pistachios as well it just sort of leapt into mind it's something I have had there it's a really nice sweet dessert but um i don't know it just it, it's got sweetness and tartness that would work with the meringue the gooseberries would contrast the nuttiness of the pistachios the raspberry element might over tart the whole thing but anyway i just thought it sounded quite interesting so if you could try that please mm-hmm. that'd be great sure, we'll <laughs> we will, don't worry we'll, we'll let you know <laughs> and i suppose the last one is your milk stout um, you've got some the really uh, another obvious um, but brilliant pairing would be chocolate tort, uh chocolate in the beer perfectly complement the chocolate in the pudding you've got a sort of creaminess in the beer that would complement the cream in the tort as well but you could also go retro <laughs> go for a Vionetta oh lovely <laughs> um, the same principles apply but it's easier you could just open a packet and also there's a slight because you use fuggles don't you in, in the milk stout is that yes, right yes yes there's a slight mintiness to fuggles so you could even go for a mint chop 
Vionetta. <laughs> Just the other day, I was thinking, you don't get Vionetta enough nowadays. I used to love the mint chocolate one. That was great. And when you put that on in front of your guests, that's exactly what will come out of their mouth. You don't get Vionetta nowadays. <laughs> I can't wait to reinvent Vionetta. <laughs> <laughs> Sales of Vionetta spike after this episode goes out. Maybe your, ne- your next series of podcasts will be all about Vionettas, maybe. We made a Vionetta. <laughs> <laughs> so process of elimination, we finish on the IPA. Yes, because you're using Simcoe, which is sort of earthy, woody, citrus notes. I go with something cheesy or even a fruity panna cotta. Oh, nice. With a cheesy option, creamy cheeses especially, the hops will cut through the fat, refresh the mouth after each mouthful so you go back for more cheese. I like the idea of it cleansing my mouth so I can go back for yet more cheese. Yes. Absolutely. <laughs> That's what you want to do with cheese. You know, it's, it's difficult to stop with cheese. With the, with the panna cotta as well, it's got the same cutting through of the creaminess and the complementing of the fruitiness. We're also thinking we might serve our IPA with a tea strainer of some sort because it's full of sediment. It'd <laughs> be nice little sort of digestive tea. <laughs> <laughs> That's one way of getting people used to the sort of ingredients of mm-hmm. being well served with a tea strainer. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Great stuff there from Lawrence. Our friends better prepare themselves to get drunk and fat round at our house very soon. If this chat has got you hooked on the idea of matching your dinner with a beer, but you're still struggling to choose what to have with tonight's dish, apparently you can tweet your dish to at beer for that using the hashtag beermatch, and Lawrence will suggest you a great pairing. He did mention that he's been asked to pair some rather unsavoury things with beer since he's been manning the Twitter feed, though. So do be sensible. It's not big and it's not clever. Though some of them sounded pretty funny. (laughs) So from pairing our beer with food to making beer out of food. Toast Ale is relatively new to the beer scene and it's a company with a pretty lovely feel-good factor and a kind of inspirational purpose behind it. To find out more about Toast, we met up with Julie and Vanessa at the end of a busy brew day at Essex Street Brewhouse following a collaboration. Millions of people have lost weight with personalised plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. For London Beer City. Hello, I'm Julie, and I'm what I call the head toaster. At Toast Ale. Fantastic job title. Indeed. Um, and we're here with Vanessa. Uh, I'm Vanessa and I'm the head brewer at Essex Street Brewery. So today you're doing a collaboration brew, right? We are, yeah. It's very exciting. <laughs> so Toast Ale's really interesting. Can you tell us about the concept behind it? Yes, so Toast Ale is a beer brewed using surplus fresh bread uh, and we brew this beer because we're passionate about eliminating food waste but we also like great beer and communicating through the medium of great beer is a great way of positively raising awareness on the issue and being part of the solution. And I heard that each bottle you sell also helps to raise money for charity as well so can we talk about that for a little bit? 
Absolutely. So the bottles that we sell online or in our bottle shops and stockists that we've got around London, all profits will go to Feedback, who are a charity that are there to campaign against uh, food waste. They'll be challenging retailers, farmers, policymakers on why we've got food waste and how we can reduce it. But then today's brew um, is being brewed at the Temple Brew House, and they are kind enough to give a proportion of their sales to Toast, and that will 100 percent go into our coffers and then ultimately into feedback that's so nice where did the idea actually come from there's a very clever guy called tristram stewart and tristram is a food waste campaigner uh, he's done that all of his life he's not a businessman he's not a brewer uh, but he knows how much bread waste there is um, he knows everything there is to know about food waste and he's trying to eliminate it and when he discovered a beer in belgium brewed by the brussels beer project called babylon and it tasted great, he had a light bulb moment because he realised, actually, maybe this is a business I should start because the stats are unbelievable. 44% of bread baked in the UK is not consumed by us. Uh, it's wasted. And in people's homes, that's a figure like 24 million slices a day. I mean, you, you, you can't believe it. So when he found a great beer that had bread in it, he realised that actually we should launch a company called Toast because we could A, use up some bread, B, raise awareness about food waste and C, raise profit and donate that to Feedback to help their campaign. He ultimately wants Feedback to do such a good job on food waste that we'll eliminate bread waste, which means we can't brew any more Toast Ale. Uh, and then I'll look for another job. <laughs> <laughs> it's a great name as well. It lends itself so, so well to the purpose. You're quite right. I mean, threefold. So everyone says, let's have a toast, let's have a great drink. But we also want to toast the end of something. You know, we want to um, say something's toast, it's over. Uh, and uh, we have put toast in our beers. Vanessa here today has actually put bread in, but in some of our brews, we have toast in our beers. So it's threefold. How are you actually using the bread? Can you talk us through the process? Uh, yeah, of course. Um, we basically swap a third of the meal bill in the beer for bread. Uh, so we use two thirds of malted barley as any other beer and then one third of bread. Uh, today we're using 70 kilos of bread. <laughs> Apparently each bottle will have a slice of bread in it. <laughs> yeah. How do you know um, how it's going to affect the kind of technical side of the beer or like the ABV and the gravity and all that kind of stuff? <laughs> that is a very interesting question and we will find out when the beer is finished. Uh, what I've done is I took the recipe that Hackney Brewery brought another recipe that was done in Bristol and I tried to work out the formula and see how much sugar bread has uh, but until the beer is finished we won't know for sure that I've done it right <laughs> I'm sure it's great I'm sure it's great. Suspense, yeah. <laughs> it's great so we're aiming for a 5% beer when you come out with an 8% beer everyone will be like it's fine don't worry yeah we'll see we'll, yeah. we'll find that in a week and a half if I've done it right why did you want to get involved with Toast? Oh, I think it's a fantastic project. Um, food waste is, 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 is so stupid that it happened. Uh, so I just think it's, it's a fantastic idea. Can you only do pale ale using uh, bread and toast? No. Or can you do all sorts of beers? All sorts of beer, yeah. So what beer are you brewing today? Today we're making a pale ale. Uh, it's going to be a Pacific style. Uh, so we're using hops from the States and from New Zealand uh, to make it quite citrusy and fruity and easy drinking. 
uh, but you could add bread to do a porta. I will think it goes really well if you use like sourdough or something. Or we were talking about bread with fruit. Um, it will go really nicely in a dark beer. Super. Yeah, Gosh. I mean, the, the options are endless. Um, so toast specifically started with a pale ale as that's a really popular style of beer and we wanted everyone to want to try and drink one. Uh, we didn't want it to be considered a niche, a gimmick, a fad. You know, we want this to become an everyday beer, ideally. Um, but yes, it will make beautiful porters, lagers, ultimately wheat beers. Um, we intend to have a raft of different beers. Um, but I can tell you, actually, we're really excited that later this month, uh, Wiper and True, based in Bristol, have brewed a toast-inspired beer, and it's an amber ale. Um, so looking, really looking forward to trying that. Samples are arriving next week. So is the aim of this to get loads of brewers brewing using leftover bread in their area, I take it? Um, the aim is is to eliminate bread waste through brewing it. Um, in fact, we'd rather people eat it first, um, and and if not, then brew it. So yes, it's great to partner with craft brewers um, to brew beer, and we do want to continue to do that. We had a great day today. We've had some King Home Brewers coming in to look at how um, you can brew with beer, and everyone will have half a loaf that they haven't eaten or something sitting in the freezer, and actually you can just throw it into your brew and, and just experiment. So um, we want to encourage home brewers to use up some of their bread waste as well. We clearly can't knock on everyone's door and collect their surplus. Today we were lucky enough to have a bakery donate 80 kilos of bread um, that they've collected over a couple of days of surplus Um, so that's how big the problem is actually that it's just one small bakery company in London just a couple of days of surplus and we're going to make what 1500 pints something like that quite a bit then yeah yeah (laughs) quite a lot of beer is that something that you could do outside of London is this problem specific to London or is it UK wide certainly in the UK we are a nation of bread eaters and sandwich munchers so I mean it's a great place to start we've got ambition to launch soon in the States because again they eat a lot of bread over there perhaps maybe less so in parts of Asia but I'm sure there's some ways there in fact had really interesting conversations about how you might brew with rice over there surplus rice so it is an issue um, nationwide certainly way beyond London but we're born in Hackney and so you sort of start where where you're born don't you and why did you guys choose beer um is there other places this bread can be going I mean we chose beer because we were inspired by the Brussels beer project I mean and who doesn't love a good beer and the craft beer market here in the UK is is growing you know it's such a vibrant market and such a great medium for telling the story um I imagine it wouldn't be quite as easy to do that through breadcrumbs you know we might not get so much engagement excitement uh you know everyone loves to know who brewed it where did they brew it why did they brew it and you don't come from a beer background that's right uh, that is correct. Um, I like a good beer. I've drunk a lot in my time. But no, um, my introduction to the beer sort of industry uh, was in January. And I, I'm learning a lot in these first sort of, where are we, seven months? And I've drunk a lot more beer as well, amazingly. As someone from a non-beer background, what does toast ale taste like? Um, well, it's very malty. That's probably the first characteristic, I would say. Um, and there is a nice sort of caramel sweetness to it as well. But really refreshing. It's, it's a very approachable beer. And what happens when we use toast instead of bread? Does that affect the taste? 
Possibly that caramelisation comes through a little bit more, but because you can do that through choice of what malts that you use, it's um, maybe maybe not so much. I mean, we're we're wanting to learn about different types of bread and how different types of bread might affect the flavour profile of each different beer. And within each brew, we have got different batches of surplus bread because we don't know what's surplus until we brew it. And actually, we like that. We like that every toast beer will be slightly different to each other in flavour possibly in colour as well because of of the component of bread that's gone in it we think that makes it unique imagine that i'm a listener and i've just heard about toast ale where can i go to actually get it to try this beer Probably the easiest place to get it would be toastale.com because that's where you can get it wherever you are in the UK. Um, our stockists are also online. Mainly they're focused at the moment in, in the London area because that's where we're based. At the moment, just a couple of dozen stockists. So if you can get hold of a Toastale, you're part of an exclusive clan of people. But we intend for that to change. Um, we're wanting to brew a lot more beers. I think this brew today will bring us up to about 28,000 beers brewed and almost a ton of bread saved. That's quite something. Indeed, a good day, but bearing in mind that 24 million slices of bread are thrown away every day, and we put in probably something like 2,000 slices of bread today, you see how, how much beer we've got to brew. Gosh, it's quite a task, isn't it? Uh, yes, it's thirsty work. <laughs> thirsty work indeed. Big thanks to both Julie and Vanessa. We must say this episode has been a great one to put together. It's really opened our eyes to the diversity of beer. Beer is fun to make, delicious to drink, great to pair with food and, thanks to the guys at Toast, it's helping to make a bit of a difference too. So, from lovely feel-good bread beer, back to our oddball creation. At the beginning of this podcast, we introduced our milk stout. Fresh from the success of our gooseberry saison, we entered Yubu with a slight cockiness. A cockiness that eventually became our downfall. What we considered to be a minor problem during our brew when we sparged our mash ended up messing up our last beer quite badly. In short, the process of sparging takes your grain out of your mash tun and into your kettle. You do this by slowly and gently sprinkling water over the top of the grain, which cleans all the sugars out as it passes through the grain bed, out of the bottom of the mash tun and into the kettle. When we sparged, however, we were a little overzealous when adding our water. This caused a blockage and affected our efficiency. Here's how it went down with the guys at Ubrew. I feel the need to apologise about the disappointing head. Sorry, guys. I think this tastes really great. And yeah, there isn't any real head at all. But I've seen that happen with professional beers too, particularly stouts. I think this needs slightly, slightly more time in the bottle, but it's tasting good to me, yeah. I think it's um, a great first stab for sure. The vanillas come through really well. Like I can see it turning into something really well. So I think we'll strike it with some more time. I'd want more body on it. Like yeah, that's true, yeah. Those ingredients denote to me a little bit more kind of silkiness, a little bit more smoothiness. Um, it's a bit watery for me. I really like the flavours. I think the flavours are are what I was looking for, but I think it is like the texture of it not being that stouty to me. Would this pass the Ubrew taste tests or not so much? No, currently no. I think I would personally, if this were a Ubrew beer, I would save it for if we were ever in a pinch and we needed some beer. That'll be the testimonial to end it all. I would drink this if I was desperate. A little bit disappointing to finish the series on maybe not the best beer, but our milk stout is improving the longer we leave it. And taste-wise, 
it's kind of delicious in a distinctly non-beery way. Despite that anticlimactic final brew, we're dead chuffed with what we've learnt making this series. From how beer came to exist in society, to what's been done to modernise the industry and diversify the beer drinking audience. We've spoken to publicans and brewers, innovators and marketeers, and we've broadened our knowledge of Britain's most popular drink. We want to finish our podcast by talking just a little bit about the C word. <sighs> Calm down, we don't mean that one. We mean craft. Since starting this podcast, we've learned that craft is quite the controversial little word. Some people passionately hate it. Others commonly use it and embrace it. Some people say that craft is all about volume. Others say it's about independence or locality. But the one major thing we've learned when putting together this series is that actually no one really knows what the term craft beer actually means. Here's what happened when we asked a selection of our We Made a Beer guests what the term craft beer means to them. For me personally, and it's a very contentious issue, I think that craft is innovation. Um, so the more interesting your beer is, uh, the more crafty. It's just a marketing term, because anybody can call anything craft, and they do. There's even these Americans who've set up this organization called True Craft, which is even better. You know, it's like craft wasn't enough because it's been devalued so much that now you go True Craft. I think that the clues in the name, so something that's crafted with care and with passion. Uh, it doesn't matter if the brewery's tiny, the brewery's massive, uh, if it owns the brewery, if the beer, if the final product is nice and delicious and it tastes like it's supposed to taste. And that's, I suppose that's craft beer. I have no definition for craft beer. That's a term I'm not a fan of. You know, we don't sell any craft beer, we sell good beer. Well, we sell what, what we think is good beer. Just because a brewery's small and there's some geezer making it with him and one other person doesn't mean it's good. Originally, craft beer meant that it was made by a small independent brewery. Nowadays, it usually means that it's a beer that's quite um, vibrant in its flavours, usually quite a lot of hops. It might be an, an imaginative sort of hybrid of styles or it's the attitude of the brewer. It's really hard to define. It's a marketing term that's almost become self-mocking for a lot of the industry now. To the vast majority of the public, it just means not cask ale, but not ordinary lager, and probably something quite hoppy. It seems that there isn't a huge amount of agreement about what the term craft beer actually means, especially within the industry itself. So how are we as consumers ever supposed to get a grip on it? We dithered continually about whether or not to say the C word in regards to our beers and our podcast. But here, at episode 6, we've decided to embrace it, for want of any better term. We're pretty happy that we've made craft beer, and we spoke to several brewers who we think of as craft brewers, whether or not they identify with that term. In our opinion, the sort of beer we focused on in this podcast is different to the big industrial beers that are readily available in most shops, pubs and supermarkets. So, until someone provides us with a better word to explain that difference we're probably going to carry on using craft. Saying that, just as we've been putting together this final episode, CEBA, the Society of Independent Brewers, has launched an initiative to promote, here it comes, assured independent British craft breweries. Catchy. They'll give their stamp of approval only to breweries who are properly independent of larger controlling brewing organisations and who pledge to abide by CEBA's Manual of Good Brewing Practice, which aims to ensure quality in independently brewed beer. We're keen to see if this helps provide some clarity for beer drinkers in the UK. Right, that's all from us in this series, folks. It's taken us on a beery journey throughout the world, from Bermondsey to Belgium, via Lickinghole Creek, Goochland, Virginia. If you enjoyed it, you can keep in touch with us on Twitter and on Instagram at WeMadeABeer. 
And if you've been inspired by our brewing adventures, don't forget We Made a Beer podcast listeners get 20% off brew courses at Ubrew using the code UBREW20. For now, we're looking forward to drinking more beers in more pubs and tackling some more brews. We'll be doing a few seasonal episodes here and there, so rest assured, this isn't the last you've heard from We Made a Beer. For now, though, thanks for listening. Cheers. Cheers. <laughs> Ever catch yourself eating the same flavourless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. <laughs> 